0: Hey, it's Ian Altman. You are in for a treat today. My guest is Leslie M. Now, Leslie is the president and chief firestarter of Combustion. She helps people all around the world tell amazing stories that captivate their audiences and streamline and empower their communication. Really, she's just a force of nature. She's the reason why businesses like TD Bank, Disney, Google, Honda, J. Walter Thompson, Mattel, top ad agencies go to her to improve their communication. We're going to talk about problems of how we communicate and why our message often falls on deaf ears. We'll talk about how to create emotionally charged events that actually stimulate the brain in different ways. And we'll specifically give you strategies for how to make sure that your message is taken away and creates impact for your audience. You're going to learn a ton. It's a lot of fun. Here's my discussion with Leslie M. Leslie M, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Ian. Thanks so much for having me.
0: So tell our listeners something surprising about you that they may not otherwise know.
1: Well, let's see. Aside from my very sort of checkered past that I cannot reveal, I'm I'm sorry about that, but um, I I actually, uh, I'm a crazy passionate boxer. I I fought my first sanctioned amateur bout at um, at the age of 50 plus. So yes, so I got into the ring and repeatedly got punched in the face and, and punched another woman in the face to raise money for cancer research a couple of years ago. And I Fell in love with the sport, and I've been doing it ever since. So I'm a crazy, passionate little boxer.
0: Now, by the way, what I, what I heard is that you you said, "Look, I want to punch this other woman in the face," and people said, "You can't just do that." And you said, "Well, what <laughs> if I say it's for charity, for cancer research?" And someone said, "Yeah, I guess that'll fly." I mean, is there any truth to that backstory, or is that?
1: Oh, well, I, I can say this: when I said I was going to get into the ring and fight. Nobody was really surprised. There was not. A, people went, "Oh yeah, okay, I, I can see that. Yeah, that makes sense." Yeah, but I, I consider myself a fighter for good.
0: All right. Well, I'll, I'll try to behave myself because I don't want to open up the wrath.
1: Don't <laughs> don't make me come for you, baby.
0: I understand. It's, I understand. I understand. I'm a little bit nervous right now, but you know, <laughs> but I'm up to the task. So it's all about love. It's so, all about so, love. So you are you are an expert when it comes to how people should present and convey their ideas to help persuade others and 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 really accomplish great things but you see I guarantee a ton of people presenting things kind of in a way that maybe isn't the right way what are the biggest mistakes that you see people make when it comes to presenting their ideas and information in a business context
1: I think what happens is that There has been this legacy of kind of bad practice that exists in most organizations. And it's kind of like the way we've always done it here. And usually that involves death by PowerPoint that is completely overloaded with data, you know, down to these like minute cells in an Excel spreadsheet. And and somebody is, is facing the screen and trying to talk a bunch of people through it at the same time as they've handed out material or sent it to them in advance that they are now flipping through. And I just, this is like the legacy of crap. You know, that, that nobody knows why we do it like this, but we've always done it like this and it does not work. And you, all you have to do is to ask anyone who's ever been in that audience. It's all of us. We have all sat in those presentations where someone has barfed up a 95 page PowerPoint deck and is now going through it in minute detail and we're all slipping into a coma. And yet... We're the one who turns around and presents like that two days later. And yeah. we forget that it put us into a coma. It is madness. It's, it's utter madness.
0: And God forbid they should skip a slide because they, they can't skip a data point that's on there. And thankfully, they're kind enough to read everything that's on the slide to us on the off chance they're in, they're in an audience where people can't read.
1: Yeah, I always find that interesting, too. I, I think it would probably would be better served by checking in advance. Does anyone have any kind of impairment that, that does not allow them to read, in which case I will help you? Otherwise, you know, I, I always say, if your deck can suffice as your leave behind and vice versa, they're both crappy. Yep. All right. If the, 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 these two things should be so different from, from one another that your deck could not exist without you. That it would be completely and utterly mysterious to your audience if, if you had to send it in advance, for example. People would go, well, what is this? I don't understand. There are maybe a few images and a couple of words and, you know, some, some you know, maybe some kind of an infographic. I don't understand this. Exactly. Because you need me. Because the brilliance is in me. It's not in my deck.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's funny. In my keynotes, I've now moved where I use no slides at all, thanks to our friend Connie Podesta, who said – and i've seen you speak why do you have slides you don't need them um but um but my slides historically were always just an image or a graphic and i loved it when an event organizer would say can you send me your slides And i said sure <laughs> i send them when they say well of no, this makes i mean what's what's with the picture of the couple at the campfire and i said uh-huh. well, you'll find out on tuesday
1: <laughs> and that's why that's why they pay you to show up because otherwise they could just it's like press play. You don't you don't need me. And and I, I think the irony is that those slides are usually created so that somebody can feel confident and feel equipped and feel smart and prepared. And yet the, the delivery of slides like that actually makes you look less smart and less prepared and less on it. Yes. Because the the question in the audience's mind is why does that person need so much of a crush uh, of a crutch? Why don't they have that knowledge in their heads? When I when I train people, and um, and I you know you very quickly can recognize who are the over preparers you know in, in the group. And I'll say to them, when you go to a status meeting, for example, in you know in, in the office or you know some kind of an update meeting, do you bring a fifty-six page you know PowerPoint deck? Do you bring twelve pages of notes and so on? And everyone kind of looks at me like nuts and goes, "No." I go, "What do you bring with you?" I don't know. I just kind of show up. Maybe I have my phone. Maybe I you know bring my laptop to take notes or something. Okay, and you manage to talk for what an hour or two with with your other smart colleagues about what's going on in the project and so on. Yeah. And then somehow when you get up in front of people to talk about that very thing, all of your confidence drains out of you like a, like a, like a trail behind you, like like a slug, you know. And you get up there, and all of a sudden, you're a blithering idiot, and you can't connect to your content. It's it's all about swagger, you know. You if you believe that the information is in your head, which it is, then you should be able to get up and talk about it confidently. And that, unfortunately, the whole paradigm, the whole audience deck presenter paradigm, is the thing that that erodes our confidence.
0: So let me let me ask you, what's what's the neuroscience that's going on for that audience member when they're getting that much data thrown at them?
1: Well, here's the thing is that there's a lot there's a lot of of research now that that has proven that this does not work. Okay, so the first thing that that's very important is that when you share facts, fact alone with an audience, there are only two areas of the brain that that are activated. They're called, bro- one is Broca's and the other one is called Wernicke's, And those are the only areas that light up, right? When you tell your audience a story, your brain lights up like a freaking pinball machine. Motor cortex, sensory cortex, frontal cortex, the whole thing just goes nuts. And there's a whole, I'm, I'll break down for you why that happens. So that alone should should tell you, if, well, if I'm trying to take up brain space in my audience, what what makes more sense? Do I want to activate two little areas, or do I want do I want to give them a whole brain experience that is more likely to be retained? There's also uh, the fact that that we now know that what are referred to as ECEs, emotionally charged events, are far better retained than something that is simply data driven, okay, or analytical. And um, this this Emotionally charged event, also known as emotionally competent stimulus, it is the best processed kind of external stimulus ever measured. OK, so what we what we know is that when you tell a story and the brain is stimulated to that degree, it is the, the, the brain becomes its most active and everything has has an emotional root to it. And I say to people, I mean, I train people in technology and financial services, in all forms of business. And I I always say to them, okay, well, who is your product for? It's for people. Okay. Who creates your product? People. All right. uh, Who, what is the dynamic in your organization? Well, it's about people. Okay. So there is always going to be a human story in that in some way, shape or form. And the data doesn't capture that. So you're losing that opportunity, and there, and there's so much more. Just let me know if you, well, if, you if I should bore you with. Oh the, no, with we're we
0: we're going to dive into all this. It's it's interesting. It took me years as a speaker, um, maybe not too many years, but it took it took me a little bit of time as a speaker to realize that when I would when I would deliver a keynote, that people may or may not remember the specifics of recommendations I made, but years later they would remember the stories. To yes. amazing detail, they remember the stories, and the, the the funny part was that I started realizing, okay, look, I better make sure that the message is in the story, or they're going to miss the message, and they're going to mm-hmm. get the story and say, "Wow, the story was great." What was the what was the uh, what was the key to that
1: again? Do you know why that is? It, it's such a cool aspect of the brain. That's called mirroring. Yep right? So a, the mirror system of the brain, what happens is that the listener experiences similar brain activity to the storyteller. Yeah. So you literally become one. And then you get this, and then you have neural coupling, which this is crazy. It, it literally activates the part of the brain that allows the listener to turn the story into their own ideas and experiences. So, so they become unable to separate kind of where the storyteller and the story and they fit together. So they it, they, they can, it's, you know, we can say, well, I can relate to that story, but it's much bigger than that. They actually feel it as if it happened to them.
0: It, exactly. And I think that that's, the, that's kind of the power of story. So so we know that when when people are doing things, quote, and we don't want to call it the wrong way, mm-hmm. but it is the wrong way. So It's the wrong way. Let's so, call so, it the wrong so, way. So, so, so when people are doing it the wrong way, Or stupid way. Okay, well that's too strong. Well maybe it isn't too strong. So, so the 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 old evil way. We'll call it that. um, We know that the audience tends to disengage. That every time a slide comes up on screen, the audience has to either either has to read what's on the screen if there are words, or they listen to the the speaker. But they can't do both at the same time. So they can't they can't process what's on the screen and listen to the speaker. So you know when when i give people advice i say look if you put a slide up and there are words on it you just you you need to tell your audience look i'm going to give you a minute to read this and digest it and then i'll explain what it means if if that's something you need to do that's fine but if you bring up the slide and then you start talking about it the problem is you as the presenter you know what's on that slide but the audience does it so they doesn't so they have to process it and if you start talking, you're just making it harder for them to follow what your where where your topic is and where you're going. So, knowing all of that, what should people be doing and how do they infuse stories into their business to create a bigger impact?
1: Okay, well, there are some there's some pretty simple uh practices. I mean, if you cannot let go of your precious slides with words on them. At the very least, what you can do is control how the audience sees and experiences them. So that's the, that's the baseline. So do not, do not reveal all of your content at the same time, right? Because the brain, the brain, this visual cognitive dissonance says the brain wants to know what's going to happen next, a setup and a payoff. And, and if it, if it has the setup and the payoff altogether, then, then you've lost me. I don't care anymore. But if you can keep me hanging, if you can build anticipation in me, I will stay with you because I'll want to know what that payoff is. There's a reason that the end of the story is called the climax, right? It's the release. It's the satisfaction. And so we'll stay with the story until that, that climax point. And that's why we're so pissed off when the, this, the ending of the story is bad, right? When, when, or we'll stay uh, you know, with a cliffhanger for a TV series until six months later. Because we want that release so badly. So even if you're going to stick with your slides and your bullets, reveal them one at a time. Reveal a piece of an image one at a time in order to tell that little piece of a story, for example. So that's just the basics.
0: By the way, I love our, 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 friend, our friend Michael Port often uses this example where he says – Michael says, look, you, you can't give people the conclusion up front. Star Wars would not have been a great movie <laughs> – if they if they had said, oh, and by the way, turns out Darth Vader, Luke's father. Like at the beginning, yeah. like we just want to let you but know. we'll get to that just, in a
1: minute, right? <laughs> just,
0: we just want to let you know that, that turns out Luke's, Luke Skywalker's father, Darth Vader. Um, and we'll yeah. explain more in a minute. And then when it happens, you're like, yeah. well, right, yeah, whatever. <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> That's it, oh, and by the way,
0: this person dies. And that person, yeah. by the way, valiant effort, not so much. This person, they're trapped, but they're going to escape. It's okay. Yeah, now I'm we'll gonna, get into but, it. Like, yeah, now uh, we'll get
1: into it. I'm going to tell you how that happens.
0: Exactly. So it's like no one cares.
1: Stop. No more agendas. No more this is what we're going to talk about. You remember the old rule of tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, then tell them what you told them? Yep. Okay. We live in an era where we have how many millions of pieces of information hurtled at, at, you know, through space at us. It, uh, we are capable of processing. We do not need to be told it. 85 times, and by the time we want to punch you by the end of it, it's like, Oh, stop telling me what you already told me. So, no more agendas, no more big, long interludes, no more. Just get into the story as fast as you possibly can. And I always say, Come into the scene at the last possible second. So, don't give me a lot of preamble, a lot of hoo ha. Come into the story exactly where we need to in order to understand it. And, and your, your, the arc of your presentation must have a beginning, middle, and end. Yep. Right Now, it doesn't mean – now, I want you to imagine I'm making a motion with my hand that is like coming up the mountain and then going down the mountain. So, let's imagine that that's a typical story arc. You know, the, the, the beginning is the big setup, the middle point, you know, and then we have a resolution. Now, imagine that we're going up a steep hill, beginning, middle, and – and end and we're building to the climax. Now imagine that it's like a roller coaster. I'm going to start at the top and then I'm going to swoop down and have a little a little further swoop at the end. So each of those is, is, is a great construct for storytelling, right? Start with the big aha and then work backwards to how we got there and why it's the only way to go. Okay. Give me the little bit of the information to get me excited Come to the big payoff in the middle and then tell me why I have to buy into it and why it's everything. Or start and build, build, build. Tell me why. Like lay out that bird seed da, 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 to the big payoff. And this is why you must choose this, the end. So you see those? Those are all ways that you can construct a presentation to make it feel like a story. Beginning, middle and end, and think about well when is the aha, when is the where's the tension? Where's the fear? Where's the payoff? Where's the pain? All of those classic story constructs should be there in some way, shape or form.
0: Yeah, you need you need that element of conflict and and contradiction that gets people that creates some interest because if it's well, we, we went we, we went to this place intending to have dinner. And and then we sat down and we had dinner and we left. It's not that exciting of a story because well okay that's what you set out to do and it happened just the way you thought it would and okay that's not very exciting. But if you said so we got there and then and then the driver went to the wrong place and then we got there and the thing we wanted to order wasn't there and then the audience is thinking well did they eat or did they waste away to nothing? I mean it's, yeah. it could be. And going to you, don't wanna, you don't want to you don't
1: want to intro that story by saying let me tell you a story about a dinner gone wrong. No, no, just start talking. So I went to dinner, you know, and not, you'll never believe what happened. No, I went to dinner and then just go because then people lean in and go, oh, what's happening? I'm in a story. And they don't even notice that it's happening. Here's another thing that, that I find is that when you get into more conservative organizations, uh, they say, well, I, I don't, it's not really the environment for storytelling. And I go, you're not saying to everybody, pull up a chair. Let me give you once upon a time. It's not about that. It's about saying, you know, let me, Let what are all the ways I say to my audience, the people that I train, what are all the ways that you can best communicate this information? So if you're looking at all the information that you need to to get into their heads to say, well, I could just talk at them. We call that the straight tell. And even if you're really good at the straight tell and you're charismatic and you're smart, it's still the straight tell. And I explain to people this is the default stylistic approach of most people. Let's say I took that off the table. What else could you do? And they go, What? What else could you do? And they are lost. And we play, so we play games to get them to start understanding, oh my God, there are 50 different ways that we could do this. There could be a game that we play with the audience. There could be kinds of interaction. There could be, um, there could be turning it into a, um, you know, a, like a, a real pitch in a kind of an infomercial style. Uh, we could do an interview style. I could bring an expert into a presentation and use them. So now I, the burden isn't on me to be the expert. I'm now the conduit to expertise and I'm smart because I'm asking smart questions to the expert Uh, I could I could uh, get the audience to do something and force me to have to respond to it there are a million different ways that I can get little pieces of content across in a far more meaningful way I can use video I can use audio I can use illustrations right think about the power of illustrating a point get out the flip chart and you've got a marker you have them from the second you pick up that pen and you start to draw they're going, where is this going? Where is this going? Back to that visual cognitive dissonance again. And they will stay with you until you resolve that. And it makes you look way smarter than barfing up an image on a slide. And you also can can use it as a way to simplify. Because if you're not simplifying, there's no point in illustrating anything. That's the point of illustrations, is to simplify the point. But I can now play with them and they ask questions and I can add to that and change it. And, and I have them now, they're they with me. Half my presentation could be that. As opposed to putting fifteen bullet points you know on six slides, so there are a million ways
0: yeah i I've, I often jokingly say that the reason why in PowerPoint they have bullets is so that the audience can shoot themselves when people use them <laughs> <laughs> because it's just like it's just you know because otherwise the revolver would be empty, and it wouldn't be as as good of a story but i mean it's just it's it's scary to me when i when I watch people present and it's just slide after slide after slide mm-hmm. and text. And my favorite, my favorite of all is when someone says, well, and it may be hard for you to read this at the back of the room. It's like, look, it may be hard for the person in the front row to read that slide. Um, like, you know, people are taking a picture because they're thinking there's no way I can process it now. At least maybe I can review it later.
1: Cause there's just too well, much say, information. If you don't know what the single minded takeaway of your presentation is, neither will your audience don't kid yourself. So I I got a little, I got a little, um, formula for that. You want to hear my little formula for single money takeaway? Yep. Okay. So what we, what we say is, okay, you're, you have a message. There's a reason that you're going into that room, right? You've got a message. There's an agenda and you don't have to admit what that, what that message is, but it's going to have to be imbued in your content. So you've got to know what that is. What is the message? then we say, okay, so let's look at our audience. And I'm not talking about everyone in the audience because bless them, they don't matter. I'm talking about the key decision maker and or the key influencer. Who is the king and who is the hand to the king or the queen and the hand to the queen, right? Now, what is that person operating on? Is it a a need, a fear, or a desire? Because let's face it, that's us. That's human beings, right? Do they need something? Are they afraid of something? Or do they want something really badly? Which is different than need, by the way, right? And you've got to know your audience in order to do that. And if if you go into a room and you don't know your audience when you're presenting, you've made the biggest mistake of all. There is always intel that you can get right? That's in in order to best understand them or take a flyer, put yourself in their, in their position. What do you think might, might be driving them a need, fear, or desire? And then you go, okay, well, what would be the satisfaction of the need or desire or the alleviation of the fear? So I've got my message. I've got the, like the consciousness of what is the need, fear, or desire articulated and then articulate what would be the satisfaction or alleviation of that. That is gonna leave you with your single-minded takeaway. And it doesn't have to be something that that is stated in the presentation. It might be something very sort of subliminal, like, you know what, I'm not full of crap, you can trust me. That might be your I know that you've been burned before, but I won't be that person to burn you. That could be the whole single-minded takeaway of your presentation. And until you do that presentation effectively, you cannot go on to the next presentation. Which is going to be now buy for me? Yep. Right. So instead of jumping the gun and just everyone's pushing, push, push, push. He, buy my buy my stuff. Buy my stuff. And and we, you got to ask yourself. Well, you know, they're in a position to go. Well, well, wait a second. You know, I'm the one who who has something to lose here. You got nothing to lose. I got something to lose. I, if I choose your your solution or I choose to, to buy whatever you're selling. I have to feel like I've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. And until you can alleviate the, I've got nothing to lose part of this, I'm not going to be open to it. And so sometimes that's, that's multiple presentations, but people don't want that. They want to jump over that hard part and get straight to come on, buy me, come on, buy me. So it's that understanding what is that single minded takeaway and really crafting it. And then you ask yourself, well, what, what do they need to think, feel, and believe in order to get to that single-minded takeaway? Because that's how our brains operate. We operate. There, there is an intellectual factor. There's an emotional factor. And then there's just a credibility belief system. That's values. That's the deeper stuff. And so you look at that and then say, okay, well, what would the tactics be under the think, feel, and believe to ladder up to that single-minded takeaway? And then you kind of pick and choose. Oh well, I could bring something into the room to get to this part. I could create an experience uh, with them to do this, and I could bring in some some proof, some testimonial proof, to do that. Ooh, there's my presentation.
0: Well, so it's interesting. I, I want to draw some parallels for my audience. So, in same side selling, one of the things that we talk about is the research um, research I've done on how people make and approve decisions. And mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna laugh at at how well aligned this is, and then hopefully my audience is now going to see. Ah, here's why what Leslie's saying is really – really perfectly aligns with this and makes sense, which is the questions that people ask when they're making or approving a decision comes down to this. First, they want to know what problem does this solve or why do I need it, which directly aligns to the need, fear, or desire. Mm
1: -hmm. Then
0: what they want to know is what's the likely outcome or result – If I, if I do this thing, so if I buy this product, if I, if I engage this service, what's my likely outcome or result? And what I always tell people is, look, when your clients are resistant to making a change, they either don't believe in the, um, in the problem it solves or why they need it, or they don't believe or have the confidence in your ability to deliver the results or both. So the gap always comes down to when someone says, well, but I understand what the issue and, – and, and we're all in agreement on what the results are. The, the example I give is I say, look, so this would be like if you went to the doctor and the doctor, God forbid, said, oh, we've diagnosed you with this terrible um, life-threatening condition. And good news, we've successfully treated 1,000 patients in a row with this for complete recovery. If the doctor then stopped talking, you wouldn't wait for them to say, so do you want to come for treatment? You would say, well, how soon can you treat it? Because if <laughs> you right. believe you had that condition, if you believe they could deliver the outcome, you would close them. They wouldn't have to close you. The same thing happens in business. So when you're presenting things, if you can help people understand, look, I, I empathize. I now understand the need, fear, desire that you have. I understand this is the outcome that we're trying to get to, and by the way, we can co-build that with them. And then it's just a matter of what would prevent them from believing that we can get them there.
1: That's the thing, and and the thing that 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 ladders up to that to that big mistake is that just by telling them is not going to make them believe it, and just by barfing up, you know, some stats and some data on why. You know, if, even if you say this has worked for 86% of, you know, other people, my next question is going to be, well, wait a second. Well, those other people aren't me. I'm not the same as other people. Yep. So uh, if I can't, if I can't see it through my lens, if I can't have that mirroring aspect, if, as, as opposed to saying, uh, all right, so here's, here's some video of, of, you know, five of our customers talking about their own experience and how this worked for them. And then, and then because it's going to be told in a story, Hey, so I'm, you know, I'm Susan, I'm the CEO of blah blah, blah company, uh, you know, here's what was my experience and here's what happened to me. We're now experiencing that. Remember we talked about that, yep. that, uh, mirroring. So now it's like, Oh my God, Susan's got Susan and I have a lot in common. This is really interesting. Okay. Wait a second. And now by the time I've heard three different testimonials from three different people, I've cobbled together the, the, you know, a, a profile that is exactly me. I go, yes, yes. Oh my God. Yes. Or I I create an experience in the room that proves that when you have some support or some, some aspect of what it is that I'm selling, you're able to get to your solution more quickly. There's a million ways that you can, that you can do this. Um, then they go, oh, I see why I see the parallel between what you're now telling me I need and this little experience that you did with Lego in the room, yep. you know, and it, and it may seem simplistic, but I'm telling you, it. I've worked with the, you know, with the boards of directors and C-level down. And when they experience those kinds of presentations, it's their, their mouths hang open and I go, oh my, oh my God.
0: Yeah, it's it's a a, how much money do you
1: want? What do you want? Oh, it's a beautiful thing.
0: And and it's it's the power of the story. And I want to make sure that people understand that. Look, it's that don't it's easy for people to dismiss this notion that, oh, yeah, people will experience it that way. And, you know, just take heed to what Leslie's saying, because I've seen it firsthand. When you share this information as a story, the audience experiences it. And it's about showing at that point not telling, and when you show people something as opposed to telling, it has a much greater impact on how they see the world and how they hear your message
1: well listen I, you know in, in to to support my my argument, <clears throat> let me tell you a little story about. Uh, a client of mine, financial services organization, big global financial services organization, and we were brought in to to do a leadership program, very senior leadership program that involved uh, creative problem solving skills and presentation skills, because you know they understand that. It's not, it's not enough to be able to develop great ideas, but if you can't communicate those and sell those through, there's no point, right? So these things are inextricably linked. So we take them through creative problem-solving sessions, out of which they come up with a solution that they feel is going to solve this, you know, an organizational problem. There are four teams in each of our groups. And then we take them through presentation to skills training that culminates in a presentation to the entire senior executive team. Right? So super high stakes poker, uh, a lot of eyes on them, and I am just blowing their paradigm up. So what we're, we're teaching them is that they can't use the old way of presenting, and we're going to break all the rules that their organization has ever had about how they present and so on and so forth. And they're only allowed to do what we call the straight tell, like 10% of the presentation.
0: Cool. And
1: the rest of it has to be done in some other way. And we've gone through, we're, we're, th- we're through our third cohort now. And the reaction that we get, first of all, uh, the first the first time we did it, we had an audience of about twenty five people. We had senior executive team. The, the second time we did it, we had about sixty, and we just did it again, and we had about eighty five people because the word has spread, and everybody wants to come see the show. It's the show, and what's so incredible is that. This is really, this presentation is just supposed to be proof of learning, pr- proof of what these experience, people experience in this leadership program and how has it changed their approach and how are they now gonna bring that approach into the organization. But what's happening is that their problem solving skills have gotten so good and their presentation skills have gotten so incredible that they're identifying real problems and they, there's always an ask, cause I said, you gotta have an ask. And they're bringing the ask to the, to the senior executive team and all the other people in the room And people are going, okay, yeah, I'll give you the money. Yeah, I'll I'll do it. Oh, whatever. It is unbelievable. And everyone's like, my God, what just happened? People are getting, it's like, you need a million five for that. I'll give it to you. And it's like that. And people are looking at each other going, how did that happen? And everyone says, "We, we have never experienced presentations like this. And we want, we never want anyone to present to the senior executive team in any other way. And I'm telling you, We've got, we're, people are chanting mantras. There's costume things. We had people do a whole thing about about creating a cult within the organization. And they had, they created a cult logo. They had green Kool-Aid on all the tables. And they were asking people that whenever they they, uh, they heard something that they liked in the presentation to please raise their glass and drink some of the Kool-Aid. I mean, we had them chant. It was incredible. And this is what happens when you free people and you you say to them, Find other ways to communicate this because we cannot resist it. It does not matter what your designation is in the company. A CEO of a company is still a human being with a human brain, and they are just as subject to these rules as a 10-year-old kid is. It does not change. The only difference is is that when you're at the C-level, you're starving for stories because you don't get them. You're starving to be satisfied, whereas a 10-year-old gets it all the time. They get it, you know. Whenever they go to school, they get it from reading Harry Potter. But when, at, at that level, you, 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 your brain wants it so badly, and it doesn't even know it. So when you satisfy that that urge, that need, they just lean right in and go, "What do you need? What do you want? How can I help you?" That's awesome. it's a beautiful thing to watch.
0: That's awesome. So, Leslie, what, I guarantee our audience is going to want to know how to get a hold of you and how to learn more. What's the best way for them to find you online?
1: Uh, our our company is called combustion training you can find us at combustionco.com info at combustionco.com goes to um, anyone on our team and we have a 24-hour response policy so you're always going to get a really quick and probably crazy response because we're you know we're controlled kind of kind of crazy but we uh we gotta walk the talk you know we love to play and and uh, we play to win and we're all we you know our mantra is training brains changing minds because it's the people in the organization that are going to create the change. And uh, if enough people believed that that this worked, they would start a revolution. And then everybody would be free to to communicate more effectively.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, thanks so much. I've got a ton of notes here, as I'm sure our listeners do. And, of course, we'll have everything summarized in the show notes also. So, Leslie, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom today.
1: Beautiful, Ian. Anytime. You just call.
0: Awesome. Thanks. Take care. I want to thank Leslie and also thank you for taking the time to subscribe and share this with your friends and colleagues. Really makes a huge difference. Let me give you a quick 30 second recap the key information I think you can take away and use in your business right away. First, make sure that you're not just giving the straight tell of your information, but instead realize that if you give just facts, two areas of the brain light up, as opposed to with stories, the entire brain lights up, triggering those emotionally charged events that people remember forever. So stories stimulate brains. If you can't let go of your slides, just remember these steps. Don't reveal all your content at once. You don't don't need to be told in advance as an audience member what's going to happen, because let's face it... The, the notion that you go to a movie, you don't know what the conclusion is going to be, but you're engaged the whole time. Same thing for your audience if the story is good. So we follow, follow that arc of the story and don't reveal your punchline too early. These things will lead to creativity and better engagement for your audience makes sure, make sure that your message is heard. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If you think there's a guest I should have on the show, if there's a topic you think, man, you got to cover this, just drop me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value and grow revenue in a way everybody
1: can embrace, even your customer.